There we go. All right. God bless you, Terry Choir, instrumentalist or orchestra. Blessed. And I pray you're blessed today, too. Whether you're watching in the mountains, beach, nursing home, some other place. Thank you for joining us today for our simulcast. Elijah, one man and his God, some wisdom from someone you're familiar with called Bubba from his agricultural book of wisdom, a short, pithy little joke. What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Where's popcorn? <laughs> Thank you for one set, one for those in the song because one person applauded two, two. They're saying we're glad it's over. Listen, I know it was corny. It gets worse. Trust me. I took the shortest one I could to spare you. I'd like you to listen for just a moment as we start today. A person reading from his book as he's talking about his story. From the start, it was a difficult pregnancy with a great deal of pain and bleeding. A number of times there were certain that my mom had lost me. Mom and dad went to the best doctor in the area and listened as she laid out the options, in her opinion, for how to save my mom's life. After examining my mother, the doctor spoke in a slow monotone, an abortion is the only way to save your life. According to her, that mass of fetal tissue or tumor had to go. My parents walked out of her office shocked a bit, numb, and resolute in the course they would take. And so in the midst of everyday life, things happen, don't they? That's why today I'd like to approach a subject that probably everyone in this room is familiar with, and that is your deepest sorrow may be the instrument of your highest good. You don't have to have lived too long to understand that many times trials, sorrow can take you well to some places that can draw you very close to God. Let's look today at Elijah, one man is God, 1 Kings 17, 17. Your deepest sorrow can be the instrument of your highest good. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. The setting. Elijah's sent there in this unbelievable timing. He's told to go meet the widow at Zarephath. He goes there, travels really far. It's not like it's a one-day journey. He travels far from the brook Cherith all the way up to Phoenicia. At that moment in time, when the woman's down to her last bit of flour and oil, at the gate within probably five minutes later, one way or the other, she wouldn't have been there, he meets her, God's incredible, impeccable timing. He tells her the flower's not going to run out, neither is the oil. And so this miraculous action is taking place every day. I've asked you before, have anyone ever seen that happen in their house? 
all I know is when we had six, well, six teenagers, probably five teenagers and one preteen in the house, my mom always had things running out. You believe that, don't you? Right? In fact, she would shop every day, come back with groceries in the car. We'd march out there and take them on in. Now, this is back in the late 60s, and she was spending $100 a week in groceries. For those of you today shaking your heads, oh, that's a big deal. That's a sack and a half of groceries today. That was a lot. Wasn't that a lot of money back then? That was a lot of money. And none of it went to waste either. We ate all of it, right? But she saw this incredible thing happen, and so all is going along well. She said, we're down, we're going to eat our last meal and die. And so Elijah sent there, it looks like all's going to be good, there's a famine, but God sent someone to her house where she could beat the famine, have food every single day. And then this, the son that escaped the famine, the son that escaped all the starvation, grew worse and worse, so no doubt along the way. Asking Elijah, Elijah, pray for him. He's sick. He's not doing well. And no doubt he prayed. The word of God doesn't say that happened, but we have no reason not to believe that someone that prayed like Elijah was praying for this boy. He's dying. Worse and worse. Please pray. Pray to your God, the same God who, who would, well, stop the rain. Pray to your God. And here's what happened. After that prayer and that time and that season, finally he stopped breathing. We get to see something about the temporal and frail nature of life on earth, don't we? There's probably not a person today that thought, you know, today I could possibly die. Pastor, that's a morbid thought. Who wakes up with that? I wake up with the idea in my life, God, thank you for a new day. Thank you, I can be your representative today. God, thank you for that blessing. I don't presume anything. You can be the healthiest person in the world and have something happen in life. Well, not me, because I just went to the doctor, you might say, and they said, I'm all is good. You realize a little cancer cell, it's not even recognizable until it gets a certain stage, as I understand they can't even, even if they could find it, there's something they can't do with it. And so we have that. We have the frailty of life. Your heart keeps going. None of us thinking how much blood our hearts will pump today, what our liver's doing, our kidney. All these functions taking place, the oxygenation of our blood, all these things. And so here we have the story of life. And sometimes we have to be confronted with the real story of life to get some meaning from it, to find out that our deepest sorrow may be it just may be the instrument of our highest good. So that's where we are. And yet, with all of that, the complaint of much of the human race is this. We live out each day hating our lives and remain full of fear, facing our ultimate death. What kind of a way is that to live? And yet, I speak with people, I read, I look, and there's so many people that complain they don't really like life, and they fear death. Well... Let's keep on going. It says in 1 Kings 17, 18, she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now for a moment, just listen. This woman, she's a widow. She's lost the love of her life. 
but she does have her son. Unlike many of you young people out there, you males, perhaps female, you, you reflect some of the same physical nature as your father. Have his eyes, may have a, something about you. And with her son, at least she has something she shared with her husband. There's a remembrance of that. There's someone there, a son to raise up. And now, he grew worse and worse. And after all that prayer, all that, after saving him out of that famine, he dies. And sometimes we have to be careful in our moments of pain what we can say. Have you ever noticed that? One of the first things I learned in chaplaincy is when we met people at the door at this state hospital and had to deliver some, sometimes some really tough news. The object, the messenger, sometimes got shot in the midst of that. You understand. And so we have to be careful that we don't point the finger at someone else or something during that time. But also, Elijah had some things to learn also. He had to learn to have some thick skin. Has God given you some thicker skin through the Holy Spirit? There are times and context that people just need a place to vent, and you may be the messenger for that. You may get that vented on you. So, blame comes to the one, ironically, and many times this happens, parents, grandparents, teachers, whatever. Blame comes to the one who saved both the widow and her son from starving to death. He's just there. He'd already brought blessing. He gave her more time with this because they were going to die, remember? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Ow! You ever felt that knife from a friend, relative, loved one? He gets the knife. Look, Elijah, great. Great job, Elijah. At least if we would have died in the family, we could have died together. Now I'm left with my food, and all I have is the pain and suffering, having had my husband die, and now my son. Is that what you did? Is that why you came, to remind me of my sin? Death tests the faith of even the strongest person. I've shared this before, I believe, in an evening service not long ago. I was in a hospital a few weeks ago with someone who's delivered some very hard news. Something they thought was just something that was quite treatable turned out to be tumors, cancerous tumors, malignant tumors. When the doctor came in to deliver that news to this person and shared that, we're sorry to tell you, da-da-da-da, she said, hallelujah, one step closer to glory. I'm quoting it. Now, it's not that she doesn't want to live. She does. But she told the truth about her faith. See, there's, for the believer, there's things way worse than death, aren't there? Death is to go be with Jesus. Recently, just uh, in fact, Thursday, I was lying on a, a table where they wheel you in for something that's always a blessing called a colonoscopy. <laughs> My five years had expired every five years. After 25, it's every five years. This is my second one. Thank you for figuring that. <laughs> That's dog years, actually. <laughs> anyway, it's in there, and um, it's always a blessing when they bring those papers to sign, isn't it? It's a blessing. I had part of mine they forgot to have me sign, so I'm in there, and they're 
the worst part's already over, right? I said, thank the Lord, it all came out in the end. It's done with that part. <laughs> worst part's over. I'm in there. And then they come in and say, we're sorry, we have to have you sign this. And it says everything, you know. There's a chance you may not die, da da da. You die, that this whatever can happen. And I'm looking at that, I'm, and then I just stop and look. I'm looking at these two nurses there. I said, I just want you to know something before I finish signing this. I said, I'm okay if I never get off this table. I'm okay. Jesus Christ died and paid for my sins. He paid my way into heaven by His grace and mercy. And if I don't get up off this table, I'll be with Jesus because He paid for all of my sins. And I'm. I don't know where these people are, what they believe, but I can tell you that first nurse said, you must be covered in the blood of Jesus. I said, yes, I am. And I looked at the other nurse, and she said, I am too. So it was a blessing, and I meant it. Not that I wanted to die on the table or die at that point, but I know. I mean, I know where I'll be just to see Jesus would be wonderful, to be in heaven, because he provided it. I'm not going to be there because of something I've done or my position. I'm going to be there because of what Christ has done. You see, these hard places in life take us to some real examination of where faith really is. So what does Elijah say in 1 Kings 17, 19? Why are you blaming me? I provided food and oil. I spared your life for all this long, and now you're pointing at me. No, he doesn't make it his issue. He gives ministry in the midst of that. It's an important lesson. It's an ancillary lesson, but it's important to look at it. Remember, there are times when your deepest sorrow, your deepest, can be the instrument of your highest good. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. So here you have this mother. No doubt her eyes are just red from tears. She's holding her lifeless son. And all Elijah knows to do is expect some crazy thing to happen. Right? But see, he's learned some things in life. He went to a king that could have killed him. He prayed a prayer that no one else dared to pray that it said in Deuteronomy 8 that God would shut off the rain if Israel began to worship other gods and sin. And he dared to do it. You know why? Because our God can assail the unassailable. And you see, death is unassailable in our world. You think there's some enemies in the world? People have a great fear of what can happen to them after they die. Even some that have confidence and say, oh, I'll be okay. If you're trusting in the wrong thing, you're not going to be okay. So Elijah demonstrates some real faith, along with heartfelt sympathy. And that's part of what we do as believers, give that concern to people that really need it. We don't project back, well, you know what happened to me or my family or my other thing or this is what happened. We just listen. We're there. It's the power of presence that God works through us. And so that happens with that. And he's there. But it's pretty, pretty, it's pretty incredible. Bring up the next slide. So it says in verses 20 and 21, Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, you have brought tragedy upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die. Some of you may look at that and say, what kind of prayer is that? 
kind of a prayer is that? I'll tell you what kind of it's a transparent prayer. And I'll tell you what kind of it's a real prayer. You see, have you ever noticed, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever cried, but probably most people, people some guys, I've never cried. Well, did you see yourself when you were a baby? <laughs> you cried. We've all cried. To cry, you have to have your emotions really moved. That's what does it. God gives a visible sign of that through our tears. Some of you have had loved ones in pain. Some of you have had your own experience in pain. It says he cried out to the Lord. It talks something about earnestness in prayer. He's praying, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? So he just doesn't leave it there. He goes forward in faith. And it says, then he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried to the Lord. You see that? He's begging. He's praying. He's earnest. Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. See, many people don't believe God can assail the unassailable. Many people walk this face and say, you know, Joe, I've never seen anyone come back from the dead. If you've seen Christ, by faith, he came back from the dead. And by the way, we're going to see some crazy great thing happen right here. But here we have some really wonderful thing. Because he stretches himself out three times. I wonder how many people would have quit after the first time. Well, we've never seen anybody come back from the dead. He's not coming back from the dead. I tried. It's over. It says no three times. He's grabbing on to God. And he's crying out to God. And God has seen his heart. But you know whose heart he also saw? Talking about God. He saw the widow's heart. Your greatest sorrow. Your greatest sorrow may be the instrument of your highest good. Elijah prayed earnestly. You see James 5, 17 through 18. Stop right there and look right here for a moment. If I asked you right now, or met you in the lobby, met you in a restaurant or some other place out there, what's, what's one of the great characteristics of Elijah? What are, what, are the, what are the great things he did? We'd probably all say, I'm with you, to a point. Well, didn't he call down fire out of heaven and consume the, the sacrifice of the rocks and the water and all? Didn't he, or may, didn't he pray and didn't rain for three and a half years? But actually, I believe his greatest characteristic is what you're seeing today. He cried out to God. He was sincere before God. The Word of God tells us in James 5, 17 and 18, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed, say the word, earnestly. It's passionate. He cries out to God that it would not rain. He doesn't pray, God, if I pray it doesn't rain, but it's not if it's okay. He cried out to God. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What the Word of God preserves for us in the New Testament is some truth about the life of Elijah. He was an earnest prayer. If I took a survey in this room right now and say, write down on those little cards on your worship guide, do you pray? Most all of us would say, I pray. But if we had in that an adjectival 
describe her. They said, do you pray earnestly? Do you pray and cry out to God? Are you transparent with God? That's a different, that's a different prayer, isn't it? You see, we know someone that's in a relationship is going to feel deeply. And many times our prayer just so many words that hit a ceiling. God wants us to cry out because we have a relationship with him. We can talk to him about things like death, hurt, biopsies, loss of job, suffering, rejection. He prayed. He was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly. He just didn't go to Elijah right off the bat and do it. He prayed, saw God's word, prayed God's word, and God did a crazy good thing. Do you know why? God can assail the unassailable. Next slide, please. Thank you. It says, the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. Oh, wait a minute. What does it say? Elijah heard Elijah say it what? Cry. He saw the genuineness of what he was saying, the brokenness. Elijah didn't focus on himself. Why are you saying that to me? I brought good to you. He focused on ministry. And God heard his cry, and the boy's life returned to him. By the way, the first recording of a resurrection in the Word of God. Right there. The boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Now imagine this. The widow's downstairs. It seems all is lost. She'd had some contact with Jehovah worship. She'd had some contact with a man of God. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room and into the house, gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive! Imagine that moment. Hmm? To go from utter despair, utter pain, feeling like you want to die yourself from the bottom to the top. How crazy good was that? What a great, great thing. And it says, it doesn't tell us specifically, but give me a moment. Look at this passage in the following chapter, verse 43 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Go look towards the sea, he told the servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Do you know there's some scholars when you read about this, uh, the many different commentaries on these chapters in 1 Kings that believe the servant was that boy. Now, we don't know that, and that's why I'm saying I don't know that either. There's some people that go in that direction with that. But I thought, wouldn't that, isn't that something? He goes from death to being a servant if that happened. At the very least, he's alive again and with his mom. But how cool would that be, Right? There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. What do we see again in that? Seven times he sends him back to go see if there's a cloud there yet, if it's raining yet. It's amazing. Once again, I think the greatest characteristic of Elijah, he was an earnest prayer. He cried out to God. Next slide. Thank you. Look at 1 Kings 17, 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, this is why I said God was ministering to Elijah because Elijah had to get through this whole thing, get by his own pain and accusations and talk to God earnestly and cry out to God. But now look, 
Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know. Used here in the Hebrew, it's the fullest sense of knowledge. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I'll tell you something about the school of affliction. Your deepest sorrow, your deepest sorrow can be the instrument of your greatest and highest good. Because this woman before, if you look at the other passages where she's speaking, you go back to 1 Kings 17, 12. As she meets Elijah, she said, as surely as the Lord, what's the next word? Your God lives. You see, we have gods here. Lots of gods where I live in Phoenicia, just like our world does today. There's lots of gods, and yours evidently is working pretty well because we've had this famine. The word's gone out to all Phoenicia that there's this drought, that all that's going on, and that someone went before King Ahab, who's married to one of our people, Jezebel, and there's been no rain. So I know as surely as your, your, your God lives. Now I want you to note something. It goes from your God in verse 12 to now I know. There's a dramatic change right here. Now I know that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Because what do you think Elijah's been talking to her about all this time? Think he was being silent about God and about the scriptures? He's been witnessing to her. He's been talking to her. He just didn't sit at the table when she's making the the bread and and having the water to drink and saying, well, uh, there's nothing to talk about. Elijah was a wealth of biblical knowledge. But once again, like many people in the world, listen carefully. They believe in God. They believe God exists. They may even follow certain rules and commandments up to a point. Seek to follow them. They may even have peace when it comes to die. But they don't know the way of salvation, of true salvation. They're depending on something. Dear friend, listen carefully. Every worldview, except for the biblical worldview, gives people some way to earn their way into heaven, and it's impossible. That's why Jesus came, because no matter how good you live, you'll never get it done perfectly, and if you don't get it done perfectly, you cannot have entrance into heaven. God knows that because it's the place of his perfect righteousness and holiness, and if any little sin gets into heaven, it won't be heaven anymore. It'll be like it is down here. And sometimes it's just frankly hard and disturbing on the earth. So you can't earn it. You can't buy it. That's why Jesus came to pay our way into heaven. He loved you. Died on the cross for sins. Rose from the tomb. Left the sins in the tomb. They're paid for. And God won't send you to hell. God is a fair God. He gives you the opportunity to receive the gift. But friend, you'll send yourself there by trying to to work your way there with some other system. No matter what the other system is, it depends on you to get to heaven. And if you're depending on you, whatever way that is, you'll never get in. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7, 21. Many, many will come to me in that last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these wonders and signs and miracles in your name, blah, blah, blah. You can know the Lord's name. You can repeat it in a Hebraic parallelism. You can say, we did all these things. You say, be gone from me. I never knew you. Why? He, doesn't say, he tells them why. Because they're claiming their own righteousness. And if you claim that, if you have the audacity to believe, 
you could earn the righteousness of God by how you live. And you've called God a liar. And friend, you will stand. Well, God is perfect love. Perfect love also is filled with perfect justice. God will judge you. And you will send yourself to the place of eternal hell. And if you're hearing me today, God is getting that word to you. If you're concerned about other people that may not know it yet, believe first and then go tell them. I remember being overwhelmed with that years ago. How how are people going to know? People need to know this. God said, well, you tell them. You're supposed to be light and salt. You tell them. Find out something. Many people, even that hear truth, reject it. But he saw this widow. He saw her heart. She had the knowledge. She, She had her gods, had her way. But now she says, now I know. Can I ask you out there now, do you know the truth about salvation? You see, as surely as your God lives, but then she personalized it. Now I know. And that's why I said through the motif of this whole message, your deepest sorrow may be the instrument of your greatest good. Because she goes from just believing in God or God's to now she knows God. Now she knows what he spoke is the truth. And it was greater than the death of her son. It was greater than anything else. Out of this tragedy, out of this hurt, God got her attention. What looked like the worst thing in the world. I can't believe it. Now this has happened. What looked like the deepest sorrow. Beyond the, the life of her son, God saw what she needed. And God did a work in her life to show her, I am the truth. And friend, if you are listening today, God is showing you the truth today. It's not about religion. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's about the goodness of Jesus Christ. He submitted, not because of a lack of equal, of equality with the Father and the Spirit. It was not a submission for authority. It was submission because of submission, period. Equal authority, he submitted, and he did that for us. God who took on flesh. That's our God. Next slide, please. Thank you. There is one. I think we did him. He's saying like that, hands up. That's right. I'm going so fast. That's right. Good. Well, what about this story here? We have a story of a mother a father, been told they need to abort a child. This woman's literally bleeding to death. The only way to save her life is to abort this child. But these were people of faith. These people had been international missionaries. People of faith. Let's continue to look at it. In the context of your deepest sorrow, may be the instrument of your highest and greatest good. God's peace, she later told me, is what sustained her through the pain, bleeding, and uncertainty of her pregnancy. In the delivery room, my parents tell me that I entered the world without much fanfare, followed immediately by a blood clot that was bigger than I was. The attending physician spoke first to my dad, Your child is a miracle baby. I can't explain how it happened, but despite all odds, he beat them. Only a small part of the placenta was attached, but it was just enough to keep your baby nourished all these months. 
how good is God, right? And you see, no one could know at that moment. No one could know except by the way that God works and people who were praying through that whole thing, people of prayer, that that baby that was barely nourished had a clot bigger than him, his mother's womb, would turn out to win a Heisman Trophy in his sophomore year at the University of Florida and two national championships. His name is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow has foundations and ministries. He not only talks it, he lives it. He goes on mission trips. His uncle has an orphanage in the Philippines. There's no telling how many people have been impacted for the kingdom of God. And out of that deep hurt, pain, and suffering came some incredibly great stuff. God has seen your pain on this earth. And he's conquered the biggest, biggest mountain you'll ever have to climb. The deepest sorrow anyone could ever have is to hear the words, depart from me, depart from me to eternal hell. Friend, you don't have to go there. God's in the miracle business. And today, the miracle. Out of Elijah making flour and oil, out of raising the boy from the dead, God can conquer sin and death. And he's conquered your sin and death because he came out of the tomb having made the complete payment. You see, the hell of hell, whatever else it is, is the rejection of something that didn't have to be. The Bible describes it as where the worm never dies, the turning over in the mind. I had God's grace and mercy and love, and I rejected it. I tried in some other way to earn my own way to heaven, and I rejected Jesus. See, the great thing was this woman only got her boy back in that life. Got to see him again, I believe, in the future. Isn't that the prayer of everyone that has loved ones and friends, to see them again? God made that possible by what he did for us. Today, as pastors come forward, I'm going to ask you to respond to his word. Whether you're listening on simulcast or right here, today you can pray a prayer, Jesus, as best as I understand, because great is the mystery of godliness, I understand you love me. You took my place. You paid the penalty for all of my sins, past, present, and future. You conquered it, left my sins in the tomb when you rose again. And I just want to receive that today as best I understand. God, I may have a million questions, but today I don't want any more time to pass by because life is fragile. We just don't know what's going to happen. I want to make that decision today. If you'd like to do that, we'd love for you to talk to one of our pastors or deacons. Today, if you're looking for a church home, we're going to present some lovely people at the close of our service. Gone to our new members class, have joined today. Some did that last hour, we'll present some this hour. But if it's you, friend, if you don't have a church home, succinctly, you need one. You need a Bible-believing place where the word is proclaimed unashamedly in our classes and our music and from this pulpit. We'd love for you to come here as a candidate for membership. And today, if you don't know where you'll spend eternity, friend, you're getting ready at some point to enter eternity. Don't do it on your own terms. Do it on God's terms and receive complete forgiveness of sins and stand before your God, clean and spotless by what he has done. The Christian life is not living a life to earn your way to heaven. It's having received the gift then serving out of love and gratitude and obedience because of what Christ has already done. Don't wait. You've heard the truth. To postpone is to say no.
I invite you today to stand, come forward as God has spoken truth into your heart.